Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. What's up, you guys? It's Matt. Uh, We got another piece of big breaking news after we taped a show yet again. Yet again. James Robinson traded to the New York Jets for a mere sixth round pick. That six-round pick can become a fifth-round pick if James Robinson rushes for 600 yards this season. Uh, He's already well on his way with his work with the Jaguars, which does count. Um, So pretty interesting that the Jets, who know they are winning right now, you know, they they really believe they're in a a moment where where they, they can compete. They're not looking at like, a oh, let's evaluate for the future. They're like, no, we're five and two. We lost Brees Hall. We got to make a move. They go at James Robinson, who's a good player. Uh, James Robinson, you know, he obviously was losing his job to Travis Etienne, who I'll hit on just a second. Um, But James Robinson's a good player. He's a pretty good back. Um, He obviously had some explosive runs at different times this year. Little interesting that Doug Peterson did kind of allude to he he might be dealing with a knee injury uh, right now as well. So that is kind of an interesting wrinkle on the Jets part. But good back going to a system that really... Michael Floor, despite all these offense coordinators always talking about how they're going to get two backs on the field this year, the Jets are one of the few teams that had really actually mastered that pony personnel look with the two running backs on the field, Brees Hall and Michael Carter. I think we can continue to see James Robinson kind of take on some of those roles uh, that Brees Hall and Michael Carter, you know, when they were sharing the backfield together. So that's pretty interesting. I think we will see James Robinson on the field pretty soon for this team. And, and I think it's a good – I mean, look, it's a good trade because – James Robinson is just a good player. They didn't have any depth beyond Michael Carter. Now, for Michael Carter, I still think from a fantasy angle, he's probably the best bet in this backfield. I think he will be like a 65% player, maybe you know 70% if he really takes off. But James Robinson will mix in. He will sort of be the Michael Carter to uh, Brees Hall as Michael Carter. He will be to Michael Carter, you know, if that makes any sense. So... I think he'll be um, the 1A or number one back in this backfield, Michael Carter, and is probably still you know, a pretty good bet in fantasy. Obviously, Andy and I really broke down Michael Carter on this show uh, earlier, so keep that in mind when you listen to it. That, that was kind of our initial reaction to it, but you know, going forward, I think Michael Carter is still startable in fantasy. Hang on to James Robinson. You absolutely want to have him on your roster because if anything happens to Michael Carter, this is a good running game. Mike LaFour has really been dialing it up there so far for the New York Jets from a run game perspective, and James Robinson would stand to take over those reps uh, if anything ever happened to Michael Carter 
again, James Robinson, just a good back. The Jets just continue to really stock the skill position uh, group for Zach Wilson, trying to build up his success as they still continue to compete this year. Interesting repercussions in Jacksonville. Look, I mean, it was already Travis Etienne season. You're going to see a lot of fantasy analysts post about that. It was already happening, right? We all kind of saw it on Sunday. James Robinson barely played, barely registered a blip. James Robinson was losing this job to Travis Etienne because Travis Etienne's a younger player. He's a more explosive player. Um, he had really started to kind of take off. Uh, now this just cements that. It cements that Etienne is the number one back in the backfield. I think he's going to be, you know, maybe won't reach the heights that some folks had for him in preseason, but he will absolutely be a high end. I think a high end starting RB2 the rest of the way. He won't be interfered with on passing downs anymore because despite all the kind of the talk about Travis Etienne as a pass catcher, James Robinson was sort of always going to blend in there because he's a good pass protector and he's reliable in the receiving game. You know, I think he could have been a Zeke Elliott to Travis Etienne's Tony Pollard in this backfield if James Robinson has stuck around. Now that's not going to happen. Robinson uh, out the door and Etienne pretty much the, the, the runway is clear for him to really go ahead with this job. Um, if you have him, congratulations if you held on to him through a rough early stretch. I think he's going to be an every week fantasy starter going forward. Um, this does make things really interesting you know, behind him because Robinson, it's weird that the Jags just want to give up a good player like that. And now there's, you know, Snoop Connor behind him, uh, Travis Etienne, not a lot of depth there. So that was all around really interesting. It will be fun to kind of track Jacksonville insiders talking about, you know, James Robinson was a popular player in the locker room, beloved guy who overcame a lot to be here uh, this year. It'll be interesting to see how Jaguars uh, players respond to this news. But from a fantasy angle, Slight stock down for Michael Carter, though. I think he will be the lead back over James Robinson. Robinson should still be hung on to across all rosters with a nice opportunity here to be a big-time injury insurance guy and a what-the-heck flex every single week, just like Michael Carter was. And in Jacksonville, it's wheels up for Travis Etienne. Really interesting trade. Uh, on to the rest of the show. And again, we are going to touch on some of the Jets stuff in this episode. But remember, we did not know about the James Robinson trade prior to this taping. Enjoy the rest of the show. Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I come to work with two hands every day and I'm trying to bless somebody. We better be in Florida. It better be sunny. And there better be some sort of fruity drink involved. With Matt Harmon. It seems like you know ball the way you talk, so. <laughs> Thank you. Someone clip that. You can get on a podcast. You can get online. You can argue with the clouds. You can argue with the, with the Russian bots. Don't care. It's Tuesday, October 25th, and oh my God, there is a lot going on here to help us try and solve the waiver wire and a beefy, beefy, surprising news report is the Earl of the End Zone himself, Andy Barons. Andy, what's going on, buddy? Is an Earl good? Is that like a fake royal title? Do you even get, do you even get, am I, am I landed? Do I, do I have lands and, and uh, surfs and whatnot if I'm an Earl or is that just, that doesn't feel real? Uh, an Earl, according to Wikipedia, very reliable source, is a rank of the nobility in the United Kingdom. The title originates in the old English word Earl, meaning, quote, a man of noble birth or rank. Um, I mean, sounds like you're just kind of some some royal. Not but like you, better, better to be an Earl, obviously, than nothing, I guess. Yeah. I mean, God, at least you're not a plebe. Uh, the plebe of the pickups, Andy Barron. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, wait until week twelve. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, the, the, we will certainly wait uh, to get there. All right, Andy. A lot of your pickups this week are going to be responses to some of these big news items. So let's just jump right into it. Um, first thing up here, man, this was one of those things where I don't often feel like I'm glad to be on Twitter, but I was kind of glad to be on Twitter live during the unfolding of the Matt Ryan news. So I'm just going to recap it real quickly here. Basically, what happened was Mike Chappelle, a longtime Colts reporter, posts that the, the plan is that the Colts are going to bench Matt Ryan and start uh, Sam Ellinger against the Washington Commanders in Week 8. So it's like, whoa, oh my God, Matt Ryan has been benched. Then we find out Matt Ryan has a grade 2 shoulder sprain. And so then it's like, oh, Matt Ryan's just hurt. Like, he'll be back. No, 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 no. The plan is they're going to start Sam Ellinger the rest of the year. They're done with Matt Ryan. They have they have moved on from Matt Ryan, regardless of this injury. Um, Stephen Holder, another longtime Colts reporter, reports that Frank Reich says he and Chris Bowd had a long conversation with Jim Ursay last night. This is now Stephen's words. They stopped short of saying it was Ursay's decision to do this, but Ursay has been increasingly involved behind the scenes of late. Um, Frank Reich also said that he told Matt Ryan, we did not hold up our end of the bargain. We have not delivered. Um, that is certainly true. The pass protection, the way this offense was supposed to run with Matt Ryan is like, a cog in the engine. It's certainly not been that unit, especially the last couple of weeks. Long and short of it, Andy, Sam Ellinger now is going to be the seventh different starting quarterback under Frank Reich since 2018. It's Andrew Luck, Jacoby Brissett, Brian Hoyer, Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, and now <laughs> our guy, Sam. Um, this is quite a story unfolding here, Andy, but the the brass tacks, we're done. No more Matt Ryan the rest of the year. It's all Sam Ellinger for the, for the rest of the season for the Colts. Yeah, at some point, the Colts had to break the cycle of just going from, you know, withered husk of one quarterback to the withered husk of another quarterback, right? We were not getting anything like uh, the peak version of Matt Ryan. That was that was evident. It was certainly evident in the Thursday night game that was so terrible a couple of weeks ago. So I, I get it. Um, pe I mean, people were calling for this in the well, people have been calling for it for weeks, but they were certainly calling for it like in the first quarter of Sunday's game. Um, I, I get why they're doing it. There, there's just no it, in terms of, you know, spinning this forward as a as a potential waiver pickup of obviously if you're in a super flex, you go ahead and get Sam. He's got some dual threat ability uh, mm -hmm. ran for, I, I want to say, 33 touchdowns at uh, at Texas. Um, I think his best rushing year was over 600 yards. Right. So, like, he, he's got that. Um, I don't know that as a thrower. He, he struck me as a guy where uh, everybody liked the intangibles more than they liked the tangibles, right? Not a, yeah. not a cannon for an arm. Everybody liked him, um, but not a cannon for an arm, not really like a tight window thrower, anything like that. There's no, there's no one physical trait that you point to and say, yeah, that is, that is top shelf NFL quality stuff, which of course is why he slipped a bit in the draft. But again, they they need to do this. And like going if they'd pivoted to Nick Foles, that just continues the tradition of guys who are clearly already past their expiration date. So I get what they're doing. Um, it does uh, it continue a different cycle, which is just, you know, we're we're on to the next kind of meh quarterback. Um, Ellinger is the guy who gets to throw to Michael Pittman. He is the guy who gets to hand off to Jonathan Taylor. Like there's some nice pieces in this offense. I expect him to have some decent days. And again, there's, uh, you know, the, the offensive line has been a disappointment. So perhaps somebody with a little bit of mobility, uh, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, it's not, you know, the way Ryan was playing, this is, this is certainly an understandable move. 
the Nick Foles part of this, uh, I want to hit on too, because I saw, you know, including Lord Podcast mentioned me like, why are they not, you know, starting Nick Foles? And uh, like a couple folks on Twitter too, like, why, why Sam and not Nick Foles? It's like, well, I think a couple different reasons, like the on field reason, 100%, I agree with you. Like, it's just the same. That's the same cycle and also the same yes. archetype of quarterback. Like, he's another yeah. just pure statue guy. And that's been, I think, to Frank Reich's point of what they have not held up their end of the bargain. Like, this was supposed to be dropping Matt Ryan behind an offensive line that was going to protect him, that was going to give him a comfortable pocket. It's been anything but that. So they get somebody, theoretically, you know, in Sam Ellinger who can create, who's got more mobility. I think that's good. they're hoping to add that element to the offense because Nick Foles just wasn't going to add anything. Like, I think if this was a situation where they were benching Matt Ryan because he was hurt, maybe they do go to Nick Foles. But this is yeah. clearly, and this is to my second point, this almost feels like a a waving the white flag on this season and looking to the future, which then I have to kind of wonder, are Frank Reich and Chris Ballard going to be a part of that future? Because this is two major whiffs at the quarterback position in Carson yeah. Wentz, who also, by the way, they're playing the commanders in week eight. Carson Wentz ain't going to be part of that game either. Like I'm not sure anybody won that trade, right? I mean, at least the commanders <laughs> haven't officially moved on. Uh, or it wasn't a straight trade, obviously, but like that that swap in quarterbacks. I think both of those teams maybe would like a mulligan on those moves. Not that the the Colts want Carson Wentz back or anything, but you know, this is two whiffs back to back on the quarterback position. They haven't been able to get this right, and it has been such a strange cycle that I wonder if this is the end of Frank Reich and Chris Ballard, or like the beginning of the end of these two teams. Or as Stephen Holder says, like Jim Ursay has been involved in all these. Is he saying like, hey, let's. We need to start throwing in the towel in the season, start looking to next year. Matt Ryan ain't going to be part of that next year, no matter what. Let's get a look at Sam. Let's try to you know improve our draft position, something like that, and actually get a young guy. But again, I wonder if that's been like with assurances made to Frank Gregg and Chris Ballard that you'll be a part of that or not. Yeah, there are not a lot of front offices, certainly, that get to take multiple swings at quarterback, right? Like that is not, that is not necessarily a common occurrence across the NFL. Um, the, the other, the other thing that strikes me that I should have mentioned earlier, um, is that this team is like second in the NFL in pass attempts and they were starting to play really fast with Matt Ryan, right? They were a lot of hurry up. I wonder if that's out the window. I have no idea if they're going to continue to play the same way. I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine that they want to throw Sam into a situation where it's just straight to the line of scrimmage and we're going to throw the ball 45 times because that sure seems like a recipe for a kid to throw four interceptions a game. Um, yeah. But maybe it's what they've been doing for a couple of weeks now. Yeah, I know. And that that is really interesting, too, because the idea that and this is something I, I t- tweeted about before we got on the podcast is something I have to remind myself all the time, you know, just because it's been bad for a wide receiver with a certain quarterback does not mean it's going to get better just because it's different. Uh, we're <laughs> going to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers in a second. Yeah, that's certain. We're certainly going to come back to that point. But like different is not always better. And, and I think you're so right that the pass volume, the yardage has been there in this passing game overall. So how does this affect guys like Michael Pittman that we like a lot. I mean, Paris Campbell, I've been kind of ignoring Paris Campbell, but he's been commanding more attention the last couple of weeks. You know, Alec Pierce, Scott and I just talked about on the recap show and both of us were like, oh, do not drop Alec Pierce. Like, But now I'm like, okay, maybe you can drop Alec Pierce. (laughs) Yeah, it's possible that Ellinger becomes the kind of, uh, I don't even want to say that he's going to be a bad quarterback necessarily, but the kind of like, 
young, inexperienced, maybe bad quarterback who just zeroes in on one or two receivers. Um, that might be fun if you've got Michael Pittman. Um, Pittman is like a week removed from a 16 target game. And and things were certainly given given the nature of Indy's offense, like things were looking up for Michael Pittman. All, all bets are off now. Um, but mm. I would uh, my hope, at least, is that Ellinger is the kind of guy who just, again, radar lock on one guy and let's go. It's kind of that Russell Wilson, Portland Sutton thing. I hope so. Uh, Rich Rebar pointed out this morning that there are four wide receivers with 100 plus routes that do not have a target 20 plus yards downfield yet on the season. I'm on Ross St. Brown, Zay Jones, Richie James and Michael Pittman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, I'm yeah. Ross St. Brown's a great player too. Zay Jones and Richie James are not great players, by the way. Uh, but, you know, I'm Ross St. Brown, very different game. Like Michael Pittman has sort of been used in that like pop gun, you know, especially against the Jaguars, just crossing routes, crossing routes, crossing routes. But yeah. he can get downfield. We saw evidence of it last freaking year with Carson Wentz, where it's like Wentz unlocked like the I called Michael Pittman coming into this year, like a blend of peak Allen Robinson and peak Keenan Allen. And he's been much more mm. like diet Keenan Allen than <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yes. like last year. He was too much like peak Allen Robinson in Jacksonville when he was just catching go routes and contested catches like we need to meet in the freaking middle here somewhere. People, yeah. I don't think that Sam Ellinger is going to be that guy, um, but. Maybe we can get a 20 plus target, a 20 plus yard target uh, for, for Michael Pittman. That would be nice. That would be nice. Um, it, it's again, it's possible. Uh, we, we could again be in the situation where Ellinger just locks on him. Um, that's that's really all you can hope for, I think, at this point. Yeah. Uh, so but the, the rest of these guys, I mean, it just is what it is. Uh, I'm going to continue to keep an eye on this story because this is really, really fascinating to me. Next piece of news item. Uh, we talked about it on last night's show, but we did get official confirmation this morning that Brees Hall suffered a torn ACL on Sunday. He also has a, a minor meniscus injury as well, I believe. will miss the rest of the season. And literally, as we are taping this, uh, we're also getting an announcement from Robert Sala that Elijah Vera Tucker their first round pick from last year has a tricep injury and he will miss the rest of the season. I mean, the, the whole point of this season was we were finding out that, wow, the, the baby jets, as they've been calling themselves are really good. Now they're starting to lose that young talent. I mean, Andy, this is a, obviously it's horrible for the jets and, and for fantasy, like Brees Hall was one of the screaming right answers this year. Yeah. An obvious right answer. He was, uh, a, I don't know, was he the dynasty RB one? He was close to the dynasty RB one. The timing of the injury is such that it gives him a chance to be on the field, uh, at the start of next season, which is good. Uh, th there's no, there's no positive spin I can put on this. Obviously. Um, it's terrible. It, it, you know, he shoot in the, in the game in which he suffered the injury, he gave you a glimpse of why he's, uh, one of the brightest young talents at the position, right? Um, he, total home run hitter, Obviously, Michael Carter is the guy who stands to benefit from this. He's rostered in about 65% of, of Yahoo leagues. But I imagine there's plenty of leagues uh, full of active owners where he was probably dropped in the last couple mm -hmm. of weeks, right? Because Brees Hall had clearly surged to the to the front of the pack there and had clearly taken over. So I would imagine, actually, that it's not, it's not a bunch of deadbeat leagues in which Michael Carter is available. It's a bunch of super active leagues in which he was recently dropped because he was clearly not, you know, not a serious threat to Brees Hall. Um, so obviously he's a, he's a target for people. He's probably, I don't know, is he 85% of Brees Hall? Maybe something like that. Right. Uh, right. The quarterback is a problem. 
like there's there's all kinds of issues here. Uh, I don't I don't think that Zach Wilson in this offense is what's going to maximize any running backs talents. But uh, but Brees Hall was clearly going to overcome that. Um, there might be a small role here behind behind Carter for like Ty Johnson. Maybe they trade mm-hmm. for a back. That's a possibility, too. But but Carter is obviously the one that you want to scan the, the wire for. Yeah. And just if you have Michael Carter um, on your bench, you know, hey, Edwin Porras, who traded me uh Kenneth Walker for T Higgins like last minute before Sunday, which I hit an instant accept on. I mean, still lost the matchup because uh, I took I took a zero from James Robinson and I couldn't come back from that. Oh, tough scene. we'll, we'll talk, talk we'll about talk James about Robinson. Yeah. yeah, we will. But and then he tries to trade me some goofball receiver for Michael Carter after the Brees Hall injury. Hey, Edwin, get out of here, man. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and keep <laughs> Michael Carter. Right. So if you've got Michael <laughs> Carter on your team, you should feel pretty good about it. Um, here's the thing, though, from the Jets perspective. The, the the reason like Michael Carter is good. Okay. Like Michael Carter is a good running back. Mm-hmm. We, we know that based on what we saw last year, but he's not Brees Hall. And for, especially from an explosive play standpoint um, so far this year, 18.8% of Brees Hall's rushes have gone for 10 plus yards. That's 4.4 for Michael Carter. Uh, 41.3% of Brees Hall's rushes have gone for five plus yards. That's 25.8% for Michael Carter, which is not terrible, but it's just the big play juice is not gonna is not gonna come with Michael Carter, but he's certainly gonna be. I don't know what Andy like a a, a solid RB two rest of the season just because like he is a good player and the touches should be there. But and I you know I write my care don't care recap column um, every Sunday night. I had to actually write it Monday morning this this uh, this week because of a couple of off field complications for me. But <laughs> I wrote in there like. I know Jets fans are going to hate to hear this, but I don't care about your record over the last four games. Like I care about what's going to come next because that's how monumental this Brees Hall injury is. They're going to have to get more out of the passing game. And now they've suffered another offensive line injury. I mean, shoot, we haven't seen Zach Wilson put it together just yet. They completed three passes beyond five uh, air yards in the win against Denver. But if if Brees Hall's, not going to be the guy making big plays. Somebody in the passing game is going to have to be that guy, and I really don't know how that's going to happen based on what we've seen so far. Uh, yeah, and they've they've just chased away Elijah Moore, right? Like, like Elijah Moore could be could be one of they're the, going to need to fix that. Yeah, yeah, they are going to need to patch that relationship in a hurry. I would I would imagine. I I don't generally um, put really any stock in um, you know apparently you know sometimes you'll see the next gen stat about how like the top speed that a guy reached on a on a particular play on a on a like generally speaking it needs to be obviously anybody who runs for like 40 yards 50 right, yards yeah. is going to is going to reach a high rate of speed like that's how that goes um but i i do want to say that Brees Hall is if he's not the leader, he is among the leaders in that stat off of the off of the long touchdown uh, on Sunday, um, 21 some miles an hour, um, which is always an impressive rate of speed. Anyway, it was a, j- that's just a, a minor fact to your point about what, a, you know, he was a, he's one of those guys where like every touch might as well have been a red zone touch because he could score from anywhere on the field. He's actually number two, Brees Hall, on that 62 yard rushing touchdown that you mentioned Care to guess who number one is Andy Barons? Oh God, is it? We're not in another Daniel Jones number one season, are we? Is it Mostert? Is it? <laughs> no, 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 no. Like no. Daniel actually, Jones it, had that title for a while last year on the run on did. which he face planted. 
<laughs> oh my god, the face plant. Uh, no, it's actually Kenneth Walker, the other running back drafted. Um, oh, so, okay. Like, if we want to talk about who the di- dynasty RB one is, like, shoot, in a couple weeks here, it might be Kenneth Walker. He has been yeah. that good so far this year, just unbelievable. And yeah, unfortunately, this happens to Brees Hall, and the Jets will have to find another answer. Um, I'm not gassed up about. I I, I don't know. Make, I think Mike Lafleur has done a great job as an offensive coordinator this year, but a lot of that was designing plays for Brees Hall. Uh, Robert Sala says he expects Elijah Moore to play in week eight. Again, there, I don't think that's all. I think Elijah Moore has got to wear some of the blame for what's going on there right yes, now. Like, for sure. Absolutely. For sure. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say like the jets need to go ahead and cater to Elijah Moore. Like Elijah Moore, you got to going to kind of have to get on board here. Okay, pal. Like, give me a break. Uh, I love Elijah Moore, but give me a break. Uh, so yeah, we'll see that that's got to be part of the answer though. Um, so look, they're going to need him. They're going to need him. They're going to need all of these wide receivers and the quarterback, of course, to step up and, like I said, I don't really care that the Jets have won the last four games. I care more about like trying to talk about what they're going to do over the next four. And by the way, they have uh, their next three games are Patriots, Bills, Patriots. So not exactly a cupcake <laughs> slate of defenses to figure this out for. Um, next, next thing up here, Adam Schefter reports David Njoku is expected to miss two to five weeks with a high ankle sprain. Uh, this is something we talked about a little bit on the Sunday Night Recap, but Andy... David Njoku out of our lives and another unfortunate one because he was the right answer at the tight end position. Yeah, David Njoku had a strong case to be, you know, the tight end three in the weekly ranks, right? He was uh, he was getting peppered with targets. There's there's not many athletes like him in the NFL. Uh, so this is really unfortunate for a couple different reasons, one of which is the timeline is like, I don't know, do I keep him or drop him? Because right. two weeks, I can I can wait that out for a tight end who's seeing, you know, eight to 10 targets per game. Like, that's worth it. He's great um but five weeks is forever at this point mm-hmm. in the season like we're coming into week eight and five weeks is like the whole fantasy regular season is over by the time he comes back so it is a really difficult decision and it depends on what's available on your wire what your what your needs are going to be coming up in the weeks ahead he's going to be a really difficult hold if we get through two weeks and and there's still no no hope of Njoku returning yeah i i didn't even think about that but that's a great point that the two to five week timeline is just <laughs> It, it couldn't be uh, more different there. And I, I would say yeah. even when he gets back, like if it's the two weeks, let me tell you what, that week three, week four, even when he's back playing, like he's not going to be right. It's a high ankle right. sprain. Like this right. takes forever. So, but yeah, it, it makes it really hard to know what to do with him. I agree with you on that one. And for the Browns offense too, it's just <laughs> Amari Cooper's home and road splits are like hilarious at this point. Uh, Dalton has talked a lot about those on the podcast and I don't, it's just absolutely the most bizarre thing in the world, but David Njoku was, I think, their best offensive player outside of Nick Chubb this year, and now they've yep. lost him. Like they're another team that I don't care. Hey, I don't care about the future for the Browns. Like I care care more about what's going on right now. Okay, like this is not good. Anyways, we'll move on from that. Uh, speaking of the Seahawks, we talked about earlier. Kenneth Walker's been awesome. Uh, one of their other great players, DK Metcalf, does sound like he dodged somewhat uh, of a pretty serious injury here. Although it's the famously reliable Pete Carroll. Who's telling us this Pete Carroll told reporters that DK Metcalf will not require surgery. Um, he has a patellar tendon issue. Uh, the exact quotes were: it was a quote, great report and quote, hurt his patellar tendon some. So it's pretty <laughs> unclear. <laughs> it's not, it's, it's not unclear. one of those cosmetic injuries to the patellar tendon i don't think like i i hate that this is pete carroll who is the mouthpiece for this injury right like it's yeah uh, obviously coaches are always evasive but i mean sometimes pete carroll spits sunshine about a player and he literally never plays again like that's happened 
Um, and then sometimes he gives you a little bit of sunshine or even uncertainty about a player and it's Ken Walker. And by, you know, a couple of weeks into the season, he's all of a sudden the best running back in football. Right. So um, we're, we're not going to get we're not going to get reliable truth out of the team. We're yeah. certainly not going to get it out of Carroll. It's really difficult. Um, I feel terrible that I had like, uh, you know, poop jokes when he went on the cart and then it turned out to be a knee injury like seconds later. Um, That's awful. Uh, But uh, thankfully, he's at least dodged. uh, He seems to have dodged a bullet. I don't know what to do in this receiving core. Like we can talk about Marquise Goodwin, but I can't imagine that Marquise Goodwin is any sort of answer. I mean, Goodwin is literally one of the one of the few players in the league who have like Metcalf's. He's not a great athlete in the same way that DK Metcalf is a great athlete, but he's literally an Olympian, right? He's an Olympic long jumper. I mean, he's, you know, uh, has a claim anyway to be in the finals of the fastest man in the league competition. So like Goodwin's a great athlete who's never been a technician as a receiver. And, and so I, there's no direct replacement for DK Metcalf is, uh, is what I'm trying to say, despite the results from Sunday. No, definitely not. Uh, And I just, I feel it in my bones, like one of these weeks, and I normally try to give you better analysis than this, but I, I can't. This I feel this in my bones that at some point of the next couple of weeks, because I would, I would in these next two games, Giants, Cardinals, DK Metcalf probably ain't playing in either of those two games. I, I would yeah. imagine. Then they get the Bucks in the bye week. We'll see. Maybe they hold them out through the week eleven bye. But one of these next two weeks, you know, Tyler Lockett just going to have the, the all of this on a platter for him, you know, especially beatable matchup against the Arizona Cardinals. And he's even with DK Metcalf, he's going to give you a three for 23. OK, I know yep. it. You know it. Every It's going to happen. And I'll, I'll say this like it's going to be I a think, two touchdown game for Will Disley. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, D. Eskridge, maybe he'll even get involved. <laughs> right. Anyways, the point being here, though, is that I do think if you want to like give a little rose colored glasses analysis to this at least like Geno Smith is this is one of the stories of the season but I think that they're sort of moving away from like Geno Smith and the passing game as the figurehead of this offense and like it's becoming more and more Ken Walker so like they can beat the Giants and the Cardinals the next two weeks for sure without DK Metcalf because Ken Walker has been that good yeah it's absolutely true Ken Walker is going to end up being you know, and I'm, I'm sure again, I'm sure that Ken Walker got drafted a bunch of places, dropped uh, and then picked up by somebody else a little ways into the season. And he is absolutely right now looking like one of the and we I, we said it on that. Not that it took a visionary to say it on the waiver show, but he was clearly that one guy this year that was just to push all your chips into the into the center of the table and, and did what you can for Ken Walker. And he is he is every bit of that. He shoots like on Sunday, he looked like the same guy. Like that could have been Michigan State taking on a, a Big Ten West opponent. Um, he looked phenomenal. Sunday Night Football recap: Dolphins sixteen, Steelers Ugh. ten. Um, I'll admit I missed some of this. Game. I had to run to the to the vet last night, uh, and so I watched most of the second half of this game on my phone, which is a real treat. Um, so I'll I'll admit that off the top here, but I did catch like almost the entire fourth quarter and the entire first quarter. Uh, so Andy, you can help me be a little bit of my eyes and ears here, but I'm going to start positive. And I I'm literally start... fell asleep in the fourth quarter. I, did, I, did, well, I didn't miss much. Actually, actually <laughs> fell asleep for the fourth quarter. Well, I then, hate to admit it. I'll pick, it I'll pick you up there. I'll pick you up there because I got some takeaways from that part. Um, all right. Raheem Mostert, let's start positive because, you know, Mostert yeah. had a great first drive. He looked great throughout the game. Uh, 16 carries, 79 yards for Raheem Mostert, four catches, 30 yards, and a receiver 
receiving touchdown. He's been great uh, since they named him the starter. He's been av- named him the starter. Like since week four, he's basically taken over. As a star- we got a lot yeah. of lessons this week in fantasy football about like who's named the starter. Don't really matter. So uh, let me dial that back and say basically <laughs> since week four, when he's pretty much taken over the backfield, he's averaged 4.9 yards per carry. He's been great. He's been like an answer for this team as they have sort of like, I I think calling it like flying blind or flying in the dark at quarterback over the last month, whatever has been going on with the Dolphins post uh, the Tua concussion, that might be putting it lightly. But Raheem Mostert's kind of taken over as the as the figurehead of that team, much like Ken Walker has taken over for the as the figurehead for the Seattle Seahawks. And man, he looks like like a guy you're you're starting no question every single week, Andy. And his next three games, next four games for the Miami Dolphins. Lions, Bears, Browns, bye week, Texans. Like it doesn't get much better than that. Just just all of them blow up spots. Um, it reminds me a little bit of that that miraculous stretch of games that David Montgomery had a couple years ago, where like literally all of the league's easiest run defenses lined up for him. And despite maybe not being the flashiest player, he and Mostert is a pretty splashy player, obviously. Um, he he just absolutely obliterated every matchup. It was great. Um, it's like that. Like these are these are all of the friendliest matchups that that a running back can face, and he's been he's been really good. Um, Hundred scrimmage yards in this one, handling a pretty significant workload too. Uh, even like you think back to the best stretches of Raheem Mostert's career, it hasn't always been twenty plus touches per game, but that's what he's getting now, and he's he's handling it. And then the flip side of it, you know, Chase Edmonds again another dud. He's the guy who got the ball on the weird fourth down call that didn't go anywhere and got stonewalled. Right. So like there's just Edmonds is just no threat to him. Um, Mostert has this job. Um, and, and also he's, Edmonds and he's like forgot how to catch dude. Had yeah, a, another yeah. rough, another rough one last night. Uh, and that was supposed to be his thing. You know, yep. he's like a receiving back. <laughs> yeah. Best case scenario here. Um, if you drafted Mostert coming into the season is that maybe you're getting, I don't know, 12, 14 carries a game out of him. And Chase Edmonds is the guy who's catching 45 passes, 50 passes this year. And Ed, like Edmonds doesn't seem to have a discernible skill right now. <laughs> yeah, no. And and the deal with Raheem Mostert, uh, I wrote this in the recap uh, piece I filed this morning. Uh, you know, he's he's not here for a long time. But he's here for a good time because, like, the injury concerns <laughs> will always be there for him, Mostert. But man, he is—he's gonna just slay these next four weeks. And yes, I, I think the passing game. There were some flashes of it, right? They hit big plays to Jalen Waddle. They hit a big play to Tyree Kill. They even hit a big play to Trent Sherfield as well, a thirty-plus yarder. Uh, so, like, they were there, but it was—it was sporadic. Uh, I think the Steelers probably dropped at least three, four interceptions last night. Yep. Like, there were moments where Tua could have paid for his mistakes. Uh, they didn't happen, but I think the passing game will get better. And, and like, those are certainly all Lions, Bears, Browns, Texans. Those are all blow-up spots for uh, Tua as well. So there's no there's no, there's no, no question there. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the dropped interceptions. I mean, a couple of them were just, uh, like, even a, even a def- any defensive back should make those plays, right? Like, so he, he really got saved a, a particularly ugly line uh, in this one because he easily could have thrown three picks. Um, sh- it's crazy that he didn't, that two of those balls weren't picked off. It, it's absolutely wild. Um, not an impressive performance. The other thing, like, Tua needs to, Tua needs to not, like, especially at, at this point in his season, coming off of what he's coming off, it, w- it might be better if he didn't, like, stick his head down and try to gain it every extra yard all of the time. <laughs> It might be, you know, he said after the game, like he, you know, apologized to Mike McDaniel through the media, like, sorry, coach, I just had to have that one. It's like, 
<sighs> okay. I mean, I know yeah. you're competitive, bro, but uh, yeah, it's definitely one of those things that makes you nervous watching him. Um, and hey, that's that's the NFL, man. Uh, I don't know what to I don't know what to say about that. I certainly don't know what to say about the Steelers' offense, man. Um, dude, not good. <laughs> Um, yeah, another uh, another inefficient game with volume for Najee Harris, who uh, y- you know is going to be an entirely volume dependent player who's not getting the the targets that he was getting a season ago, not getting peppered by Big Ben anymore. Right, he's probably going to finish the year with forty some receptions, which is just not what you were hoping for. Uh, you, you were hoping for like twice that total, and he's still <laughs> so stuck. Andy, at- Andy, inefficient with volume might be like what Matt Canada writes on his playbook. Okay, like that oh might be the gosh, title of the binder. Right? Um, Harris, Harris is still mired at three and a half yards per touch, which is, um, I mean, that's just as bad as it gets. That's like, that's like the end stage Doug Martin. Think of, think of every running back who was just absolutely on fumes at the end of their career. That's basically what they were averaging, like 3.4, 3.5. That is really, really poor. Um, not shaking tackles the way he did a season ago. Again, I, I, part of me hopes, thinks that maybe it's still related to the foot. Anyway, Harris has been, um, unwatchable and yet playable in sort of a low end RB two kind of way. Um, can, can he pick it obviously out there, be it aggressive throwing picks. This is two touchdown passes and seven interceptions so far. He's kind of fun to watch. I don't hate it. Um, and, and there might be something there long-term, but, uh, this, this is really a lot of turnovers. Uh, yeah, I'm a little, look, I, I know I said earlier about the whole, you know, you're going from one and Deontay Johnson's, I think the poster child of this right now, like going from one bad quarterback to the next, like doesn't, or to a new quarterback doesn't always solve the problem, especially because yeah. I actually think I was too hard on Ben Roethlisberger for some of Matt Canada's problems. Like that offense and I'm not talking about the players. I'm like that <laughs> offense sucks. That offense yeah. is tough to watch. Um, I've never seen someone do so much window dressing for so and still be so uninspiring somehow. Tough, tough to watch that offense, man. So, so unimaginative. But let me talk about Kenny Pickett here for a second because I, I was tweeting with a couple of folks last night. Like I saw Ben Solak from the Ringer put out like. Pickett won at the college level with athleticism and arm talent, not with processing or pocket management. That's exactly what he's trying to do at the NFL level. But, and this was always the issue with his eval, he doesn't have peak traits, so you get plays like that. We're obviously talking about the game-ending interception, which right before the interception, I was like, oh, Pickett's kind of start. He's kind of putting something together, man. Like, that was a really, really good drive with some, you know, getting out of the pocket. Like, I do think his athleticism is underrated. Um, But from an arm talent perspective, I, you know, I, I replied to Ben and sort of in that, like, you know, this is going to come off super harsh, but that scouting report like tries to write checks that his arm just cannot cash kind of makes him sound like Taylor Heineke. And he replied with the scouting <laughs> report from Nate Tice, who does great work with the athletic. It uh, uh, is pro comparison for Kenny Pickett was Taylor Heineke. And I was like, that's not what you want to hear. That's not what you want to hear. No. So whether you disagree with that eval or not, I do think it like it's a little unfair for Kenny Pickett to like a non elite quarterback prospect by any measure. It's supposed to be the guy to come in here and save like this offense that I think is so broken fundamentally that my takeaway from that game last night was I don't think there's ever going to be a position ever again as awesome as George Pickens like highlight reels are as good as I think Pat Fryermuth is as good as I think Deontay Johnson is even Chase Claypool's popping up a little bit I'll never feel confident ever ever again the rest of the season until something changes playing a Pittsburgh Steelers player period 
Oh, for sure. I get it. Um, I like, I absolutely love George Pickens and, um, he's on a lot of benches for me. He's always a difficult sit start decision. Now that we're into the buys, like uh, I'll have some spots where I can feel comfortable playing him. And for the most part, like he's producing uh, another miraculous catch, uh, obviously on Sunday night, uh, hell of a touchdown. Uh, the game prior, it was a hundred, a uh, hundred receiving yards. Like he's been good. It is just so difficult to wrap your head around the idea that the Pittsburgh offense can, can support multiple fantasy starters right now that I, I can, I continue to leave him on the bench. I'm, I'm going to have to start him in a few places this week because chiefs and chargers, but, um, yeah, it's I, I I agree. It's hard to pull the trigger on any of these guys. Yeah, like I've I've left Najee Najee. Like if you have Najee in a league, he was like your second round pick. He was a top fifteen pick in most leagues. That that guy's benchable in certain circumstances mm-hmm. right now too. Yeah, Ugh, tough scene. All right, we need to take a break after that. That's what Andy and I are going to do here. When we come back, we'll do our waiver pickups of the week. Searching for NBA playoff coverage, we've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. All right, Andy, week eight waivers, uh, slightly sexier than last week, so I'll say that. Um, let's get it started here at the running back position, headlined by the great Gus Edwards. Yeah, it doesn't get sexier than Gus Edwards. Um, man, it was uh, like, thank, thank goodness there's like a fun story coming out of this week that we can talk about in, in the waiver ads because uh, Gus was great. Uh, 66 rushing yards. No, no role as a receiver. No surprise there. He's never really had a role as a receiver. Two touchdowns, um, both short yardage situations. Just, just great to see him thrown back into the role that he's had previously. Um, this is a guy who, you know, it, through three NFL seasons has averaged 5.2 yards per carry. There's no, there's no lucky way to do that. There's no bad way to do that. The coaching staff has full faith in him. Kenny and Drake turned out to be the wrong answer, right? Because Gus came back and they just threw him right into the fire and gave him all the work he could handle, yeah. especially early in this thing. Um, so Gus is pretty clearly the head of this committee. Dobbins is now on IR. So that's, you know, we're at least four weeks away from having to having to even discuss his return and what that might look like. So right now, uh, it, it's all Gus and he, and he looks, he looks like old Gus to me, which is a guy who, you know, when he's, when he's clearly going to get 15 touches a game, you have to roll him out there, especially during the buys. He looked great. I think he's, uh, you know, is he, uh, one interesting question would be like, how, how much more aggressive should we be on Gus than we should be on like Dante Foreman or Chuba Hubbard if they're out there? Um, I think a fair amount. I think Gus is probably a tier of his own waiver pickup this week. He's, he's not available to all of you. Right. And we talked about him a couple of weeks ago as one of those, like get in early guys. Um, so he's, he's gone in most active leagues, but he is still unattached in something like 55% of Yahoo league. So a lot of you can go get him. And if he's available, I would say that he's, he's almost certainly the best thing on the wire. I completely agree that if available, he's in a tier of his own, uh, his 50% rushing success rate 
it was sixth best among backs with at least 11% of their team rush attempts in week seven. Like he was good. He, he was, it's not just like the touchdowns. The touchdowns obviously the highlight for fantasy, but he's legitimately, he's always been legitimately good. And he's come back from like a crazy injury too. He talked about it, you know, uh, obviously it took him forever to get back here. So that's apparent. I agree tier of his own there. And I, I wouldn't be surprised Andy, if like, even when JK Dobbins is back, like Gus Edwards is the one a of that committee because he, he's good at football and they're, they clearly you know, they don't know what they're going to get from J.K. Dobbins, I think, right. the rest of the season. So I feel like Gus Edwards will be an RB2, like, upside guy the rest of the way. Uh, you know, and the Ravens are looking for answers at this point because they have not played well offensively in at least, like, quarter to quarter uh, in quite some time. So I think Edwards can help him out there. Let's talk about the Panthers' backs, though. Dante Foreman and Chuba Hubbard, you know. Chuba Hubbard uh, suffered an injury in this game as well. So, like, he's – it might be more Dante Foreman going forward, although it was cl pretty clearly, like, more Chuba Hubbard than Dante Foreman, although Foreman ends up with the big stat line uh, against Tampa Bay. Yeah, and they were both, you know, they were both useful for fantasy purposes. Uh, Hubbard seemed to – and the team seemed to downplay the severity of the injury a little bit afterwards, so I don't think this is going to be a thing that that drags out multiple weeks. Maybe it carries over into the Atlanta matchup, but I wouldn't think it's going to be a big issue uh, uh, going forward beyond that. They're both good. Like, uh, I don't know. I had I had jokes about them after the McCaffrey trade, but they were they were both really good. Uh, this was this was like the best version of Foreman that we saw last year. Like Foreman mm -hmm. was kind of all over the place for me. Like when he first stepped into significant touches for Tennessee. Um, he couldn't make anybody miss. Um, yeah. And he went down on first contact all the time. But by, you know, by the end of that run, he was a much more effective back. And he was he was that guy on Sunday. He looked really good. Piled up yards, um, had uh, had at least one, I think, multiple splash plays in that one. And Hubbard was good as well. And and Hubbard was clearly going to be the the sort of 1A in the committee. And then they get, you know, they get Atlanta next week. It's not a it's certainly not a stay away matchup. So so good spot for both of them. Um, Foreman probably gone in most leagues. He's right up around 50% rostered. Um, Hubbard a little bit more available. And again, he's the guy who was getting some of the early work. Uh, your next two backs on the list here, Tyler Algier and Alexander Madison. Um, I'm glad you got you got Madison on the list for sure. Yeah, I, I totally get why he's as available as he is. He's he's at 40 some percent rostered right now. Um, he was going into his bye week. He, you know, he's not a guy who has a lot of standalone value, a little bit of standalone value in deep leagues. But I get why he was dropped in a lot of places. Um, but he's got to be rostered, right? Because yeah. now he's passed his bye. Anything happens to Dalvin Cook and he's an RB1. So like it, you know, you're going to you're going to look at him on your bench and be like, oh, I got to cut somebody. I got to, uh, you know, I got to cover tight end, whatever. You're going to be tempted to cut Madison. Like, you shouldn't cut Dalvin. Yeah. Um, when when circumstances break his way, he he is absolutely great. And he's somebody that we're going to be we're going to be starting regardless of matchups. So he needs to be rostered. Tyler Algier probably has probably has one more week left because um, Cordero Patterson has been doing some work and he comes back from IR um, presumably in in week nine. Algier, what a what a we, we talked about it pre-show, like just what a weird run pass ratio for Atlanta yeah. in a game that they trailed early, early. Like a, like a couple seconds into the second quarter, they were down 21 to nothing. Um, they ran the ball 29 times and passed it 13 times. Like that's wild. Um, but that is, that is the identity of this team for better or worse. Um, and Algier, you know, led the team in rushing with 50 rushing yards. He scored on a one yard plunge. He's clearly going to see, you know, 14 to 18 carries in any given week. 
Uh, so that, that is going to be worthwhile at least for a week. But again, you can't like, you can't throw a ton of fab at him because I think this is probably just like his last relevant week unless something happens to Patterson again. Yeah. I'm with you on that one. (laughs) Unbelievable run pass ratio. I've, I've caped up for Arthur Smith's offense and I still believe that like the design of it is really good, but I'm going to put away that cape for a little bit after that. I'm going to have to put that away for a little bit. Uh, We'll talk more about that here later in the show. Let's go to wide receivers next. I'm going to lead you to Josh Palmer first on your list uh, because uh, we're finding out as we're recording this. Again, we talked about this with Scott a little bit on the show last night, but Mike Williams does, in fact, have a high ankle sprain, and he is going to miss some time. Um, That was really ugly. Like Just the still frame on that injury was so ugly. It was not great, Uh, and I feel bad for Mike Williams. It's like, you know, he gets hurt a lot. It is what it is. Josh Palmer, man. It's kind of funny that let me just say the top. I, you know, the reception perception folks know this. I don't think Josh Palmer is very good, but like the whole thesis of uh, drafting Josh Palmer this year was, well, what if Keenan Allen gets hurt? Like he'll go into the Keenan Allen role. That actually didn't really happen, but he did obviously get the target bump. What if Mike Williams gets hurt? Just go into the Mike Williams role. Now th- that has happened actually literally like, but now that Keenan Allen's back, now Mike Williams is hurt. So Josh Palmer remains a big, big part of the Chargers offense. Yeah, um, obviously missed this past week with a with a concussion. They go into a bye when they come back. Then, you know, the nice thing about adding a player going into his bye, it's bad, obviously, that they can't help you immediately. But it's nice that there's not like a... a frenzy for their services right like this is one of those guys that you can just kind of sneak off waivers you don't need to place a big bid you don't need to go like you know 10 bucks uh uh, any significant fab resources whatsoever you can probably sneak in with like a with like a zero dollar bid because nobody's gonna be able to nobody's gonna be able to use him next week and then he is pretty clearly coming back into a into a role the following week um so he's i i mean i'm with you on on his talent level i suppose i don't I don't, I don't think he's trash. Um, I mean, yeah, you see no. in the field and they, they do target him. They, they like him well enough. Um, but he, there's just no way that he's not going to step right back into, into eight to 10 targets as soon as he gets back, because, uh, the Williams situation is going to drag out for you. Like you could just tell as it happened that that was not going to be like a, like a one week, two week injury. And that actually, I think, I like, I think that my galaxy brain take on Josh Palmer is that they drafted <laughs> him to be like the Mike Williams replacement and Mike Williams has a big year. So, hmm it's like ah shoot but we still have josh palmer he's basically like the junior mint version of mike williams so actually i think <laughs> that role suits him more than whatever they've had it like he just can't get i mean he just doesn't get open man and nobody on that offense gets open and everybody's so slow it's just not fun <laughs> not fun not fun to watch there um let's move on other wide receivers uh this week andy well, there's there's one other guy on this list who kind of fits the it's not exactly the Josh Palmer description, but he is going into a buy. Marcos Valdez Scantling is going into a buy, so you're not going to have mm. to fight anybody for him either. He's on the field all the time for the Chiefs, and it just feels kind of fluky that he hasn't scored a touchdown yet. Like it, like that that was just an all time troll game um, for a lot of reasons uh, against mm. San Francisco this past week. But McCole Hardman scoring three times was wild. Like it, it's legitimately crazy that Mahomes has thrown all these touchdown passes and none of them have gone to MVS, but it's coming. And I think everybody knows he's a high variance player. Again, he's playing all the time. He's running the routes um, and he's seeing the targets. And he's he finally gave you triple digit yardage. So I, I think at some point there's going to be a blow up game for him. If there was a blow up game for McCall Hardman, there is definitely going to be a blow up game for MVS at some point. And if you've got room in your lineup, 
for one of those high variance guys who, when they go off, like can really go off. Um, I think he's probably still got a couple of those games uh, in him. Um, Cause again, he like, he's on the field all the time. We like that. He's tied to the chiefs. We like that. Um, that that's not to say that he's like my next priority at this position. I think, I think probably the widely available guy that I would again prioritize here. It, I, like I, I hate to recycle players, but I feel the same way. I'd go back to Wandale Robinson, who's still eligible for this conversation. He wasn't. What a, first of all, what a rough day for the Giants receiving core. Good day for Daniel Jones, who who like thoroughly outplayed his receivers. A lot of drops in this one. Um, some uh, like key drops. They overcame it. Robinson was legitimately good though. Like caught six mm-hmm. of his eight targets. Um, this like two weeks ago when he scored the touchdown and we got a little taste of, of what he's capable of. He only actually played 15 snaps. The snaps were way up. The routes were way up. He's still not quite at Darius Slayton levels, but he's getting there and it's got to happen. He's a really fun player. He just sort of moves at a different speed from uh, most other guys on the field. Right. I've, I've gone through his, collegiate resume before he was a hundred catch guy just a year ago, over 1300 receiving yards. He's great. Um, I think he's probably the most interesting talent of anybody that we're going to talk about. We mentioned, we mentioned Goodwin. Um, somebody's got to see four to six targets with Metcalf out. He's coming <laughs> off a decent game. You can try it. Um, not going to make any promises there. I'm also not going to make any promises with Paris Campbell, who I, yeah, who I probably could have talked up if like, this seems weird, but you know, because Matt, like it's totally understandable that they're moving on from Matt Ryan, obviously, but at the, at the volume that Ryan was throwing, I mean, Paris Campbell has seen 23 targets over the last two weeks and they're not, they're not our favorite targets necessarily. Right. They're only like five yards downfield. He spends all of his time in the slot, um, which, you know, nice for PPR, not, not great necessarily for big plays, splash plays, but he has scored twice uh, touchdowns in each of his last two games but we don't know what it's going to look like with Sam Ellinger. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'd be a little bit surprised if they're, if they're quite as fast paced as they have been with Ryan, I'd be a little bit surprised if they just come out firing and let Ellinger throw 45, 50 times as they've been doing with Ryan. It would, it would surprise me if they don't lean more on, on Jonathan Taylor, but it's, I, generally speaking, sort of a general role is if a guy has back-to-back double-digit target games, we're probably adding him, right? Like you, you might want to take a shot. Uh, other names that uh, I included in the column, I don't think that Zay Jones is a particularly special player. He he's coming off a ten-target game. Like there are targets to go around in Jacksonville. Uh, he's got Denver coming up, which is not ideal. Um, but no, again, yeah. like we've seen a bunch of high-target games for Zay Jones, and he can make a little bit of noise. And I'm. I'm pretty interested in uh, whether we see more Khalil Shakir. Uh, you and I have talked about him at multiple times. Uh, he's coming off a bye, so you've got that behind you. Isaiah McKenzie was notably bad in uh, the Bills' last game, right? A couple of uh, couple of really dreadful plays. Drops, uh, fell down once. Like, falling down has been an issue for him this season. Um, and Shakir in like, you know, we've only got like one little glimpse and it was pretty good. He found the end zone. So I'm, I'm pretty interested to see if he, if he really eats into McKenzie snaps. This is the time too, post by rookie bump, man. Like, you know, this is when these rookies typically start to come around. So no better offensive ecosystem, you know, and that's a, that's a change they could have conceivably made during the bye week. Like if we get a headline of, Oh, we're going to see more Khalil Shakir coming out of the bye week. I wouldn't be surprised at all. And yeah, guys, right. a good player who I really, really like. Um, let's move on to quarterbacks uh, where we got the great Daniel Jones. You mentioned his a uh, miles per hour earlier on Andy. I mean, this guy's <laughs> like, he's, he's actually, I'm going to, I'm going to look it up as you're talking. I mean, maybe I'll filibuster enough, but like, dude, 
Daniel Jones has just been like flat out pretty good for fantasy, man. And, and a yeah. lot of it is because he is running a lot. Robert Mays tweeted out last night, league leaders in carries of 10 plus yards this year. Nick Chubb, Lamar Jackson, Josh <laughs> Jacobs, your guy, Andy, take that victory lap. And Saquon <laughs> Barkley, number five on the list, another giant Daniel Jones with 15 carries. Yeah, Daniel Jones rushing for over 100 yards. I like the also the meathead football fan in me loved seeing him uh, chew out receivers after drops and drops were just such a huge issue. Like that's a problem that's not necessarily going away. Like they don't they don't have a great they don't receiver have good board. Receivers, yeah. Yeah, they'd have to I don't know unless they bring somebody in. I don't know who exactly that would be unless they're bringing in DJ Moore. I don't know how great that is for DJ Moore, but like I like unless they bring somebody in, this doesn't get a whole lot better except by playing Wandale uh, even more. Um, but or like, if Dalton receive- suits up over Kadarius Tony, as we talked about on the preview show. <laughs> which yeah. is which is always in play. And then maybe you get two, three healthy games from Dalton before the ankle uh, issues uh, creep yeah. up again. What if they bring back Odell Beckham? I mean, you know, the funny the funny thing about Beckham is that it's like, oh, he's been waiting, you know, taking these recruiting visits. And by the way, I, I think for anybody waiting on Odell Beckham, like it probably is not going to happen during fantasy season. OK, like it's probably yeah. going to be like I, I truly think he's just going to mercenary sign with the Chiefs at the end of December. But like, I don't know, just just something to think about, because he obviously has ties to the organization. He's still got friends there. Him and Saquon Barkley are tweeting about it, you know, and I mean, I don't know that uh, like Odell really wants to come out of this like recruitment trip with like now I'm catching passes from Daniel Jones but the Giants are winning and I honestly don't see them stopping that at this point no no I don't either um and the mere fact that like with Daniel Jones you're getting a guy who uh, is as likely to rush for you know 50 yards as pretty much anybody other than Lamar Jackson or Jalen Hurts right now that's a huge benefit the the matchup ahead is great it's Seattle Seattle's been Seattle's certainly been a little bit better over these last couple of weeks and they had been earlier in the season, but it's still a very friendly matchup for him. And again, he's got an emerging talent in Wandale. So I think Daniel Jones, if available, he's rostered about 40% of Yahoo leagues. He's probably the probably your prime streaming candidate this week. Um, other guys who could get interesting. I don't like, I don't, I don't always enjoy watching Davis Mills necessarily. And there's a difference of opinion uh, on, on Twitter occasionally about Mills. I don't think he's that great, but he's got Tennessee coming up, and Tennessee has been a very generous pass defense so far this year. Uh, Nico getting hurt this past week is oh, uh, is is not good at all uh, for Mills necessarily, but he's at least got a good matchup. And then we've got you know there's at least a possibility that Malik Willis is going to play. Ryan Tannehill suffered an ankle injury; he downplayed it quite a bit. I would expect most players to downplay injuries that aren't like season enders uh, after games. So maybe maybe Tannehill is able to play through it, and he's fine. If he's not. You get somebody in Willis who could be a pretty rough watch, but we know the rushing ability is elite. Like it's not necessarily Lamar Jackson elite, but you know, when you just look at college numbers, he put himself in the company of Lamar Jackson in terms of like the higher level elusiveness stats and and missed tackle rate and things like that. Like he was a, he's just a wonderful runner. Um, I don't know that it'll click for him and terrible receiving core too. Obviously he doesn't have great options to throw to. So uh, it, it would be, it would be a little messy for him as a passer, but a great runner and somebody who could sneak into like the top 15 quarterbacks um, just based on, on rushing strength alone. He was, he was fantastic in the preseason inferior competition and all the usual preseason caveats, but 159 yards rushing in the preseason on not very many carries. I want to say that he averaged something like 11 yards per carry in the preseason. He was great. Yeah, he was Uh tight end. We're really hoping that Greg Dulcich in his short shorts, which, you know, I appreciate the skies out, thighs out agenda as much as anybody. 
probably more than anybody. Yeah. But uh, we're hoping Greg Dulcich is like our hero at tight end. Um, you know, they like to save these teams that drafted Kyle Pitts. And, you know, well, I got David Njoko. I'm the winner. Oh, no, not so much anymore. We're hoping Greg Dulcich is our, is our savior here. Yeah, uh, nine target game uh, a week after, you know, basically making his debut and scoring a touchdown right away. Um, and in in the game in which he scored that touchdown, he had another end zone target in that one. He's obviously not going to be tied to an ideal quarterback situation. But man, like Russ early in the season was targeting the heck out of some really sketchy tight ends. So there's no reason to think that that's not going to continue. I mean, I Dulcich can can fall into I don't know. If you told me that he was going to average seven targets a week going forward, I'd say that that sounds about right. He, again, he just saw nine. That's huge at this spot because for the most part, tight end is a just a touchdown dependent position. We we don't get a lot of guys who are seeing volume, but he's one of them. So it, he's really interesting to me at this point at a, at an otherwise uninteresting position. Evan Ingram is kind of the same guy. He's not scoring touchdowns, but he's seeing like crazy volume by the standards of the of the position right like it's it's seven to ten targets a week um i see no reason why that will change so he's a little bit interesting um harrison bryant probably steps into not the full david and joku role exactly he's not the same player um but he's pretty talented he was a he was a really productive collegiate player and uh he's obviously going to see an uptick in in snaps and targets and then irv smith jr coming off the bye scored a touchdown ahead of the bye this is the definition of a of a totally touchdown dependent player. I I see no scenario where Irv Smith is drawing eight targets a game, but when they get inside the ten yard line, Irv like Irv's number gets called sometimes. Yeah, oh, Irv Smith, uh, Harrison Bryant. I like that call a lot. Uh, let's move on to the drops and Andy. I was kind of disconnected from fantasy Twitter this weekend, but like I logged on a couple times and saw some folks talking about Robert Woods as a play against the uh, this week. No, no. Don't be playing anybody from the Titans offense unless their name is Derrick Henry. Okay. Like yep. nobody else should be in <laughs> roster. So that, that includes Robert Woods, who I don't think looked that great last year with the Rams. Like I think he, you know, everybody's like, oh, he just needed some time to get up with Stafford. I don't think Robert Woods was playing all that well with the Rams last year before getting hurt. Now he's get, he's coming back from a serious injury and he plays with the Titans. Like, no, you can drop Robert Woods. You, you know, the other problem with him is that he's like, he's had so many good moments and he's been such a good player that like you see that name on the bench and yes. it just, it is, it is diff, like, just get it off the bench because um, yeah. it's not going to go well and you're going to be tempted because we've had a lot of good times with Robert Woods. It's like, it's like having Julio Jones on a bench. Like, just, just oh, get man. the name off there. Yeah, and I, I, dude, I got Julio Jones on a team that no no surprise stinks. Although I did win this weekend with this team that I've talked about before that has Jacoby Myers and Scott called me a jerk for. Um, and I have Jacoby Myers, <laughs> the team still sucks. You want to know why? Because I drafted Julio Jones and I get that record. I get that alert every uh, from Yahoo Fantasy. You know, just, <laughs> Julio Jones. Super helpful. Julio Jones' status has been changed from uh, out to questionable at the beginning of the week. Well, questionable to out. Up. Oh, yep. Yeah. I don't want to see that anymore. Get him off. Get him <laughs> off. Get those guys off the roster. Just so you don't have to get that freaking notification anymore. Um, hold on, Lucy, guys. Andy. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, oh, my, man. My, my first name is is Michael Gallup. Um, he's playing a ton. He had a blow up spot this week against Detroit and did not blow up like definitively did not blow up. He's one of those high variance guys that like there is a big week coming. It might not be a week that you necessarily predict it. Um, and if you're in a league of such depth that you just always keep one of those, you know, we, we were talking about it with uh, with the receiver pickups before. Um, sometimes there are just guys out there where like, you know, you, you know, that a zero is a possibility, you know, that like a 30 yard week is a possibility, but when they blow up, they like really blow up. And I think Gallup is still going to be that guy. 
you know, he's one of those guys so far who's drawn some big PIs. That doesn't mean anything in fantasy, like, but he's a, he's a productive player who is, who is at least running the routes and we care about that. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty close to dropping AJ Dillon and I'm broken mm. up about this too. Cause there's another guy that I had plans for. Like, I don't, I'm not sure why the Packers, especially against Washington in a matchup that just set up for it. I, not that the Packers with Aaron Rodgers should just say, okay, we're scrapping the pass, but man, like that could have been a, that could have been a two headed attack with, with both Dylan and Jones. Um, I, like, I think Dylan's a really good player, but I mean, he's carried 20 times in his last three games and <laughs> it's just not, you can't even flex that. Like that's just not enough volume. I'm pretty close to getting to the point where I don't want a Packer on my roster unless her name is Aaron Jones, like similar right. to what we talked about with the Titans, which is crazy to say, but like Aaron Rodgers not playing well, not playing within the confines of the offense, seems pretty irritated with the confines of the offense. Uh, you know, Romeo Dobbs, you know, Al Lazard's hurt now, you know, but so maybe that's like, yeah. okay, you can hold on loosely to Romeo Dobbs, but Dobbs has been pretty much like, you know, he looks like a, looks like a day three rookie out there, by the way. Right. Uh, what did you, what did you expect? with Romeo Dobbs. He's shown some promising moments. He's shown some rookie moments as well. So I, I'm pretty close to getting all these Packers the hell out of my life. Um, but I agree that <laughs> the thing with AJ Dillon is that you, if you can view him as a contingent only guy, you can hang on to him. But if you need the space, he's tough to hang on to. And just, yeah, this is the thing. He was supposed to be more than that. Obviously. Right. He was, he, he was. Yes, yes. Yeah. He was supposed to be the guy who like had a ton of contingent value because he'd be an RB one. If anything happened to Jones, but even would in he a normal now, week, you could flex him. Like if Aaron Jones gets hurt, would we, would we instantly rank AJ Dillon as an RB one? I'm not even hundred percent. Sure no, about that. no, yeah. absolutely not. There's just no ceiling to the Packers offense. No, there really is not. And one last note on Michael Gallup, just so I can hold the L on this. I talked so much trash to, to mostly to tank, but also to you too. And our bring the prop segment on FFL because, uh, you know, I was, I was dominating that thing. And I mean, I go on there with the over on Michael Gallup, 51 and a half yards and just no, n not, he was just a few yards short of that, Andy. And I, See, I deserve that humbling. You've had, you've had so much success in that contest that now you feel like you can just will things to happen. Crazy things. Yeah. You, well, I mean, 51 and a half yards. <laughs> the crazy thing was the zero. So yeah, dude, I mean, that's one of those, like the universe has to, like, okay, get back in line, pal. Let me slap you back to reality here. You don't I can't, by the way, that. I can't believe that you guys took the, did you both take the over on Kyle Pitts? Uh, Kyle Pitts's yardage. Yeah. I'm an idiot. What do you want me to say? <laughs> that was I like, I wonder where those totals are going to go. Like Kyle Pitts yardage total was 43 and a half, which he's only, he's only done it once this year. And in every other game, he's been way below it. I, like, I don't even know how, where, or how they set that going forward, especially coming off um, the week that, that they just had. Like, I feel like the right Kyle Pitts yardage total should be like 19 and a half. <laughs> yeah, I suck, Andy. I know. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> Speaking of the Falcons. We were talking I, about Atlanta, not you. Speaking of uh, speaking of Atlanta, <laughs> I kind of think Drake London is a hold on loosely candidate, but like very, very loosely because they just can't keep doing this. Right. Like they can't keep getting away with this passing uh, volume there in Atlanta. Like at some point, Arthur Smith wants to win. Well, they're not going to win doing what they did last week at some point. I don't know when you're going to you, you can't play Drake London, right? Like you can you, now yeah. you officially can never play him again. Uh, until you see something change. 
I'm just going to kind of hold on to him and hope that that something changes because he's so good and he has a moment or two every week that really shows you that. We just haven't seen in the box score in well over a month now. Yeah, it's I mean, again, I we, we can't say it enough. The the week passed for Atlanta is just the wildest set of circumstances like they came into it averaging just under 23 pass attempts per game, which, of course, is comical. Um, and then they threw 13 times in a game where they fell behind by three scores really early. Like, that's just wild to me. They lost it by 18. They lost that game by 18 points. They threw 13 times. I can make no sense of this, but it's obviously crushing to, to London, to Pitts, to absolutely anybody tied to that offense. Getting in early here, Andy, you've got Kyron Williams. Great nomination. We've talked, I feel like we talked about him a little bit on the show last week. Yeah. And you've talked about him a lot on the show. Van Jefferson also looks like he's likely to play in week eight. I know we've talked about him here in this uh, segment a lot. So, I, by the way, if Van Jefferson's still in your waiver wire, you need to go pick him up as well. But Kyron Williams, talk to me about Kyron Williams. Yeah, Kyron Williams, uh, still IR eligible, right, for those of you with uh, IR spots in your league. So you don't even have to burn a bench spot for him in most uh, in most places. I shouldn't need to tell people that the running back position has been uh, a little bit disappointing for the, for the Rams to this point. Uh, he, he is a really good college player. I don't like, he's not a, you know, not, a, not a guy who tested particularly like he doesn't have like elite speed. He doesn't even have good speed necessarily by NFL standards, but such a productive collegiate player at Notre Dame, like obviously playing a, a real schedule. You can feel confident about the opponents that they faced caught 77 passes. I want to say in his, in his final two seasons. So he's sort of a multi-purpose guy, um, thousand yard rusher a couple times. He's not like a one hit wonder. Like he had two, he finished his college career with two really good years. And I just think he's somebody who can step into a McVay offense and, and excel right away. Um, I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's the flashiest guy necessarily, but I also mm -hmm. don't think that Henderson is the flashiest guy. And I certainly don't think that Akers is the flashiest guy. So I think there are touches to be had for him in that backfield. And it's a, it's just a great sort of wait and see opportunity and he shouldn't cost you anything. I actually think you could argue that Henderson is all flash and no no substance, and like <laughs> Kyron Williams is actually probably more substance. I like Kyron Williams yes. as a player, and I think this makes a lot of sense. One guy I'll nominate is James Cook, uh, mostly because we've mm. talked about on the show, like he's through the bye weeks. They healthy scratched Zach Moss against the Chiefs, and maybe that's a game plan thing. I, I think there could be times where Moss is available, you know, and they'll they'll play him at, at different points of the year. But if he's officially truly out of the mix, like. I don't think James Cook is like obviously shined in his opportunities at, at all times this year, but like he would become an instant, you know, contingent value guy if Zach Moss yep. is really out of the picture and like anything ever happens to Devin Singletary, who's like a, a solid C plus in fantasy at this point. Like I think James Cook could be a solid C plus. And if they were actually right with that evaluation and that draft pick, then then he could be really something more than just a C plus. Yeah, no, it's a it's a really good call. Hasn't made a lot of noise to this point. Uh, you know, we, we've seen him fumble like it hasn't been hasn't been a clinic, but a really, really good college player that they had big plans for um, and somebody who who could in the second half of the season sort of develop into just having a little bit of standalone flexi value uh, uh, week after week. And you're right, um, is well positioned now, assuming that they don't make a deal. Maybe they make a deal. I don't know. But Devin Singletary has basically held off all threats for uh, a couple of years now. So they probably don't. Uh, James Cook is a is a great name for this segment. Last thing here, um, Treviso Babes, our weekly update. And unfortunately, Andy, there were no crazy drops. Um, I kind of think this is a this might be a little bit like. I know my mom has discussed with these ladies the show, and I know that um, 
I know that some of them have even like tuned into some of our th- some of our work. Uh, this might be a f- like they're they're not going to make those crazy ass drops anymore because they're not trying to get embarrassed on the podcast. Uh, and I, I do have an update from Tammy who wanted me to let correct the record that she has dropped Antonio Brown. <laughs> great job. She by the way just passed off the buck to somebody else. Bl- totally blame somebody else. Gr- great accountability there uh, for Tammy's terrific team or whatever the hell it is. But yeah, no crazy drops in Treviso Babes League um this week, Andy. Uh, it's good it's good to hear that the Antonio Brown situation was corrected, but I hate to think that we're like halting transactions that the the fact that this league is now being so carefully observed is actually preventing its members from doing what they would normally do and proceeding as they would normally proceed. I, I feel bad about that. Uh, I don't feel bad about that, but um, you know, that just might be the difference between me and you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, I, I do. I will miss the chaos. That's for sure. If it, we'll see though. I mean, look, waivers are going to run uh, obviously this week and, and maybe we get some crazy drops uh, for, for a few of these folks too. But yeah, I mean like, at I mean, we're going to hit December and they're going to get competitive and they're going to make some more crazy drops. They're not going to be able to resist it. Yeah, there's no. I think the days of them dropping folks just because they're on bye weeks and like <laughs> Mike Evans is suspended. That might be over. That might be over in my mom's fantasy football league. But um, for, for for some of the crazy, I mean, the, uh, right now, the big names on the waiver wire. And yeah, obviously, this is a little crazy for viewing in a normal league. is like Michael Thomas and Melvin Gordon. But at the same time, I'm looking at him like, yeah, you know what? Maybe you guys are ahead of the curve on that one. I get that one. Yeah, I get that. All right. That is going to do it for us. You can follow Andy on Twitter at Andy Barons. You can follow me at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And while you're there, make yourself a better fantasy player and improve your timeline by following at Yahoo Fantasy. You will not regret it. Austin Eckler will be back tomorrow. We'll talk all about his game against the Seahawks on a new episode of Eckler's Edge. Until then, we're out.